in a position to learn to be a sponge to soak up information and people know that. So when you're starting out your entry-level position, it really is about what can I do to set myself up for success in the future? Welcome, everyone, to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Ozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura-Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Giselle Grimaldo. She is a Latino working as a department manager at Tonko House in California. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Hi, yes, I am excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I am currently a department manager for story and edit at Tonko House for our newest series. And um, I previously started out in live action. So I am excited to share more about my experience with you today. Awesome. Can't wait to hear it. So the way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and then you have to choose in between the two of them, and then kind of let us know why. All right. (laughs) All right, right, cool, cool. I'll start us off with the first question. Who was a better villain before they turned good? Megamind from Megamind or Gru from Despicable Me? Oh, my goodness. I think I'm going to say Gru from Despicable Me. Oh, really? Uh, I have to say I'm also a little bit biased because I really like Despicable Me. So, <laughs> this movie is really good. Yeah, I think no, they're, so. They're Big fan really of the good. minions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not the minions. <laughs> I mean, good, but also not the minions. <laughs> I guess. I guess that's that's fair because from the looks of it, Gru actually pulled off a lot of heist and villainy in his day. Megamind seemed to have always been foiled by Metro Man. Yeah, Megamind had a big. Is superhero to fight. I just think Gru was kind of like the the failed sort of villain that I I just think that he makes more of a fun character to me. <laughs> no, that's totally fair. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Last one. Would you rather eat at the Krusty Krab from SpongeBob SquarePants or at Bueno Nacho from Kim Possible? Definitely the Krusty Krab. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> definitely. I feel like anybody who knows me knows I love SpongeBob. So definitely the Krusty Krab. Also, I don't know if you noticed this. I mean, they do this in every in every um, animated film, but they make the food so good. Oh, they do. Every I time. love food in animation. My heart. <laughs> no, this, this is all a choice. It looks like a good burger, ignoring the fact that it's underwater. <laughs> you eat a burger underwater. Yeah. I'm kind of curious how what it would be. <laughs> What it would be, what it would taste like. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like a shrimp patty. I would, I, I, I'd say it'd be really salty. <laughs> Could be good, Ray. <laughs> That's really funny. I didn't know that you were a SpongeBob fan. <laughs> oh, I am. Yeah. We exchange a lot of memes at work. A lot of SpongeBob memes. Well, that was in between. Thanks so much for playing with us, Giselle. Hopefully you had a, a bit of fun. Hopefully you didn't find that too hard. <laughs> a bit difficult, but you know, keep me on my toes. Okay, so let's jump into this. What is your day-to-day normally like working at a studio like Tonko House? 
That is a great question. You know, I'd say when you work in production, there's really no such thing as a day-to-day. Generally, every day has its own challenges and new tasks, which I think is personally what keeps it exciting. As you know, I think the pandemic has definitely changed a lot of things for uh, remote work. And a lot of that Mm -hmm. is actually the communication. There are a lot more meetings necessary to kind of get across um, everything that needs to be communicated within a team. And my job involves a lot of communication. So my day to day kind of looks like setting up a ton of meetings, moderating meetings or reviews. Um, I work Mm -hmm. with the creative leads to uh, map deadlines and turnarounds and create schedules and spreadsheets or any sort of necessary documentation that actually facilitates communication and also checking in on how the team is doing and the status of assignments. So Generally, all of that sort of entails a lot of communication. We use Slack a lot, um, Slack and uh, and and mm-hmm. video calls. And that is right now with the pandemic. I think generally communication is a lot easier in a studio where you don't usually have to be you, like back you, you to You can back. walk up to the person. Right, right. <laughs> you could just turn around and be like, hey, how are you doing on that? Great. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You don't need a 30 minute meeting for it. But even even not during the pandemic, it's still a lot of communication. It's basically the same thing, just the the way in which it's carried out is different um, and, and easier, you know, more more personal. So um, so you're saying like you find yourself now setting up more meetings to talk to the crew versus before the pandemic kind of started? Because, again, I guess before you can just walk up to people or maybe uh, meet people on an individual basis, depending kind of what you needed. But I guess sending individual meetings for everybody via call or via Slack might be more cumbersome than, and it might be easier just to do one big old, let's just all check in and then we can all leave. Yeah, totally. And you still, and the thing is, it's kind of a, a, a line that you're working with because you still want to make sure that people are feeling supported individually. So you still have mm. sort of the the individual meetings, but then you try you try to strike a balance because you don't want to take up people's desk time. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, it's definitely it's definitely an interesting an interesting place to be. But yes, definitely a lot of meetings, a lot of group meetings. We started doing um, stand ups, which are some like shorter group meetings to get together and hear out where everybody is with the project, which is really helpful. But still, there is. The need to do individual meetings and also uh, meetings with team members separately to discuss separate topics. So that usually you wouldn't do a stand up for something where you needed to discuss further. That would be a separate conversation so that people's times could be, you know, that's so that people could have the desk time. Yeah, I totally think that's really important to have like group meetings and stuff, too. I know for the production that I've worked on this past year, we didn't have like weekly check-ins for a long time but then after we started doing them we like started realizing oh people are having like the same problems um you can bring up like an issue in a group meeting and it'll kind of like it's easier to sort out like oh it's not just me running into this roadblock but like our whole team so yeah i feel like there's definitely during a pandemic being remote and stuff like communication is it's just not as efficient (laughs) unfortunately yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a challenge. I think that everybody's facing these days, just trying to make sure that we're always in touch with everybody else, communicating what needs to be communicated and then also still have time to work um, mm-hmm. with setting up the meetings. So I know this is 
more common for artists when they work at a smaller studio like like Tonka House to wear multiple hats. Is that also true for like somebody in your position on the production side? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's actually the cool thing, you know, about working for a smaller, a smaller studio and a smaller independent studio um, like no, Tonka sure. House. You just get to do so many different things and and learn so many different things. I've in my you know experience, I've had the chance to work on anything from exhibitions to graphic novel to actual TV series. Mm. It's been, there's just a wide range of media that you can cover. And I guess it really depends on, on where you're working to, but Mm -hmm. being in that environment definitely allows you to wear multiple hats. It's kind of necessary. And at the end of the day, it's just a great learning experience. No, no doubt. Yeah, I can totally see that. I like that beauty of a smaller studio is that you don't have to, at least on the artist's perspective, you don't have to be solely doing boards. Like there might be time for you to jump into either character design or even animation. I know like Toshi uh, Nakamura wears probably the most hats at Tonko House. (laughs) (laughs) He, just to quickly talk about him, I I know he done stuff, stuff for the graphic novel. He's animated, he's 3D stuff. I think he's like texture stuff. He Oh, he's such a powerhouse. I miss that what dude. <laughs> yeah. Toshi's great. Yeah, he's super talented. <laughs> uh, actually, something I, I wish I would have said before we started is that I'm actually really excited to be interviewing you, Giselle, because I think right now you're actually our first person on the production aspect that we're interviewing. And it's it's an uh, aspect that I've been kind of wanting to talk to and kind of show people in like students in college and high school that there's other alternatives into the animation industry besides the artistic side. And I think your role and the side that you're on is also just as valuable and necessary as the artist. So I kind of really want to get to know more about what you do. Oh, thank you. No, I'm excited. You know, I'm excited to talk about anything in production anytime. So this is a, <laughs> a great, a great thing for me as well. <laughs> and I'm excited to talk about that with um, high school students too, and people who are interested in it, because honestly, I think there's You just never hear about careers in entertainment. At least, I don't know, in my experience, I never heard about careers in entertainment growing up. So I didn't even know that this was an option until I started thinking like way later in college, like, what can I do for work? So like getting started even early on and and giving people sort of an idea of, hey, this is actually a possibility. You can actually work in this industry. And these are all the things that you can do is so exciting. So I love I love what you guys are doing with the with the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I I totally relate to that as well. I think growing up, whether it's like, yeah, the entertainment aspect uh, of the industry or jobs in entertainment is not like the common job is not the typical thing that schools tend to talk about or like let you know that that's a pathway. I think right now it still has that stigma of like unsteady work and it's like, oh, you're going to you're going to starve or it's not stable. The stability, I think it's what I think prevents it from being talked about at school. And I think that's such a it's such a shame. And I wish there was more awareness that like this, this is a possibility. But can you tell us about your early production experience when you worked in live action and how that was like? Working in live action was really fun. There is just so much on a day to day that is so different, actually, from animation. So I worked freelance as a production assistant for about three years. And while I was working um, as a production assistant, I had the opportunity to do basically a little bit of everything from, you know, commercials and corporate video which there's a lot of in the Bay Area, to series and documentaries and feature films. And overall, the day-to-day is really different on every project, but there was sort of a a blanket of things that you could expect to be doing, like 
uh, running errands or like getting meals for the crew and coordinating, you know, to making and distribute scripts and talking to talent and taking them to set. And you're generally doing just a little bit of everything to make sure that the production runs smoothly and everybody has what they need. So Mm -hmm. while it's always different, you always kind of have to be on your feet, which is kind of what keeps it exciting too. I will say that days on set are long. They're pretty long. And especially in comparison to animation, I've had long days in animation, but it doesn't feel as long because you're not on your feet. I think Mm -hmm. when you're working in animation is being in front of the computer quite a bit. I actually, if I give you a little story, when I first was transitioning, I was still working. So I was working at Tonko House and I was still working on set most weekends. And Mm -hmm. there was such a contrast between being on set and sort of like the buzz of having to be on your feet and running everywhere all the time, making sure that everybody had what they need versus going to the studio and you're still doing the same thing, but people are working on their computers. So Mm -hmm. it's like all of a sudden it would be (laughs) super quiet and everybody's working really hard, but they're all working on computers. (laughs) And it was just such a contrast and less physically tiring because you're not again, on your feet all day. Um, But the days on set can be, you know, up to 14, maybe sometimes a little bit longer hour days. So it's quite long and you drink a lot Mm -hmm. of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I think you drink a lot of coffee and animation as well. (laughs) Totally. You do. You do. It's funny because like you'll be on the live action set and the first thing that people look for is the coffee. And then they're always like, you, you try to help people by like running coffee to them so that they, they can just continue working. And then, mm. yeah, it's just really long days, but it's really fun. And the cool thing about live action really is that you get to work on, you know, at different places all the time and with different crews. So you're always making different content and it just keeps it really exciting if you're the kind of person who thrives on change. The cool thing about being a production assistant on set as well is that you get to learn a little bit of what everybody is doing. So if you're more interested, I started being a production assistant on set with people who ended up going different routes. Um, I knew Mm. I wanted to go into production. So I had, you know, I was able to communicate that and I was able to get a little bit more of a view into what it meant to work in production versus Mm -hmm. somebody who starts as a PA on set and then they want to learn more about camera and then they just kind of shadow the camera department. And eventually Mm. you go that route. So Mm. it's as with anything, I think, you know, being a PA at an office or being a PA in animation too is the same thing. You kind of start out learning, learning about the process and then you get to go in the direction that you want to go into. Um, So it's really Mm -hmm. cool that years after you end up seeing the the people that you started with doing completely different things. That's really awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, You talked about the transition from live action to animation, like the the thing that you noticed, but what made you want to transition from live action to animation? So I always had an interest in animation, actually. I was really curious about the process. And something that really was intriguing to me was making something out of nothing. You know, animation, it's so uh, free-flowing. And Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. can imagine any sort of world and just make it happen versus you know, the physical constraints that you have when you're, when you're working in live action. And so that was always exciting to me. And I think what ultimately did it for me is in college, when I decided I kind of want to learn more about this, I took a couple of classes about the history of animation and then also one specifically on Disney and Pixar. And Mm -hmm. I think 
I know that a lot of people are very inspired by Disney and Pixar, and I am definitely one of them as well. Ultimately, what did it for me, I think, was that that Disney and Pixar class. I remember that we watched the the story of Pixar, the or the Pixar story, the documentary, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I just had this sense of purpose. It was like like this fire within me. I was like, yes, that's what I want to do. I want to work in animation. And I was actually trying to get into animation for a while. It was not like I had taken that class and I made the decision and I just charged ahead in just that direction. I knew that I wanted to work in film. um, So I did end up working in live action while I was still trying to find my way into animation. And there are just Mm. not a a lot of big studios in the Bay Area, as you know. So Mm -hmm. it was more of just trying to find the perfect opportunity or the chance to get in. And once I did have the opportunity, I just had, I just was ready to dive in and make that transition. But I still, even while I was working in animation already, I was also still working in live action. One, because I loved it so much, but also two, because you kind of build, build this, these relationships with people on, on set and you want to make sure that you're maintaining that as you go. So I didn't want to pass on any jobs. I wanted to still work on the cool stuff. Like every time somebody would call me and say, Hey, I'm working on this. And it would be like a really cool project. I'd try to, I'd try to go back and, and, and ask if I could take time off to go work on that project. Oh, um, just cause it's really cool. Um, you get to work on so many different things with so many different people, but then at the end, you know, you, you kind of have to make a decision. I think, um, while you can still do stuff on your personal time, sort of taking the the path of, of where you see yourself long-term. And I just saw myself in animation more. So that's where I ended up. Honestly, it's really cool hearing about your experience and, and that journey. Um, I'm glad that like you ended up where you wanted to be, but it's also really cool that you got to experience both and kind of had that like balance for a bit before like fully settling into, into the realm of animation. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, I'm glad I had the experience too. I think it was really helpful. It was, even though the things that you're doing are not too, too similar, just in terms of context, because of where you are, um, yeah. it still did help a lot. You're still mm-hmm. communicating a lot. You're still trying to organize. It's kind of the same thing, even though it's different. And at the end of the day, that experience actually led me to do a better job when I, when I transitioned. So I would never tell anybody to shy away from just trying everything. Cause at the end of the day, I think it's so important that while you're still in college, you experiment and mm-hmm. you try many different things to find what you want to do. Well, yeah. yeah. Cause that just makes you more of a well-rounded person. Mm-hmm. This always stuck with me. Uh, one of our upperclassmen, Liz Chi said to us, um, she did like a little seminar on uh, being a production assistant. And she said that like the main role of production is to, if if nothing is wrong, then production is doing their job. So it's just to make sure that like everybody else is able to do their job smoothly, like all the programs are working or everybody like, I guess in life action, everybody's well fed uh, and ready to go. So like they can focus on doing their job. And I think that idea, that same idea carries over from like live action to animation is like production is here to make sure that all of the parts are smooth and working and communicating with each other and uh, whether that means you're standing around and and handing out coffees or you're sending out emails to like set up these meetings i think like yeah the function is the same but like what you're physically doing might be a little bit different anyway i think that's just really cool 
Uh, also, thank your production team. Yes, always, always thank your production <laughs> always team. Always thank your production team. <laughs> Don't forget about that. Yeah, because kind of on the on the same seminar that you're talking about, Yuki, I think the thing that stuck with me is that I think sometimes the reason why production might go unappreciated is because when they're yeah when they're doing their job right. You don't notice it because nothing's on fire. Nothing's nothing's going wrong. It's only when something goes wrong is like when you notice. But if like if you have a good production team and like things are running smoothly, yeah, you just don't notice and don't appreciate like it's running smoothly because of the production team. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of production too is like when things do go wrong, you troubleshoot so quickly. It's like okay, mm-hmm. what can we do to? I think there there's no production that ever takes place where something doesn't fail. You know, right. always yeah. something is happening and it's kind of like uh, like production's job to see how we're going to troubleshoot to ease that. And that's exciting. Um, you know, to some people, to me, it's exciting. Um, <laughs> just making sure that we can keep everybody moving along, like you said, you, uh, Yuki. I'm curious how you feel about like, because in live action, it's a little faster like, even though you're working those long days, in a way, it's a little faster because you're on set, you shoot whatever you need, like the content that you need, and then it goes like to edit. I don't know how much longer you are on as a PA after like the physical shoot, but for animation, like to do a second of animation, that'll be like a week, right? It's a little m- more drawn out. So how does that feel for you, like on the production side, I guess, if that makes sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's kind of, it goes back to the idea of always doing a different thing. Like we talked about Mm -hmm. a little bit earlier. When you work in the live action set, like you said, it's really fast paced and you're always just kind of doing something else. It really Mm -hmm. depends. Like your question of whether you're on the job after you're done on set, it really depends on how you're hired. You could be hired as an office PA, but also as a as a set PA. And if your role Mm. is only to be on set, then once the shoot is done, then you're done. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that just feels like, okay, I came in and I contributed and we did this thing in three days or a week or however long it took. And that's it. And then you move on to the next job. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas in animation, you're, as you mentioned, on for a much longer period of time. And it just seems like the amount of things that you can work on uh, in terms of project and di- and the diversity of the projects is so it's limited, you know, it's more limited, but it also kind of enables you to learn more in depth because when you're on set, you're trying to grab as much information as you can, as quickly as you can from every project that you work on. Whereas when you're in animation, having that spaced out period of time to work on things, you're just able to really dive into a little bit more deeply I would say that's that's a little bit of what the difference is. And in terms of pace also, it just feels more relaxed. Even though, you know, we still have deadlines to meet and it's still quick turnarounds and all of that, it still feels more relaxed than a live action set. No, I can, I can imagine. I mean, obviously there's a lot of roles in animation as well from the animators, the board artists, the directors. But I guess when it comes to like a set where, which is why there's so many restrictions now for filming live action because of how many compact people can fit into a square space just to get the specific shot to make sure something's lit correctly and trying to make sure everybody's in their, in the proper blocking and the proper meeting their cues. I can see that being a little bit more hectic than somebody sitting at their desk making a doodle. <laughs> not that, not to like downplay it, but like just the, the difference between, between the, the, the two worlds. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely not to downplay it at all, but it is, yeah. it is definitely a little bit different. And and with COVID, especially in the times that we're in so hard, you know, it's not just that people have lost a ton of work because of the times that we're in, but also how easy it is. Well, relatively much easier uh, in animation to work remotely, you know, mm-hmm. you can't work remotely in live action when you're filming something. <laughs> Um, so there's definitely sort of a, an advantage that, that the, that this creative field has over, over, um, live action in, in times of pandemic, which is really sad. And hopefully, you know, we go back to normal soon. Yeah. Cause it's definitely been an impact. And like you said, the being in the tight spaces, trying to figure out how many people are absolutely necessary. I mean, the reality of it is that the entire crew is necessary because that's why the entire crew is hired. Now it's just like, who is absolutely necessary to get this done and there's just more hurdles that people have to go through to make that happen mm-hmm. yeah so huge shout out to my people in live action because it's rough but to kind of circle back about kind of your career in production what made you want to pursue that as a career i know you mentioned you kind of discovered it in college but like when you were younger did you always have the inkling of wanting to be a part of animation and wanting to work in the entertainment industry or is it something that you kind of got into as you got older I think it's definitely something I got into as I got older. I didn't know that I wanted to be in production until I had sort of picked a an industry first. Mm. That was sort of the first thing. I actually, when I was in, in college and I went to community college first, I had this like moment of, oh gosh, I don't know what I want to do for a living. <laughs> like, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? It's, you know, the amount of time that you're spending at work versus outside of work, it's very significant. And mm-hmm. and you obviously want to make sure that you're picking something that you're going to be happy with uh, in the long run. And there was a moment I first, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, which obviously didn't happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, after I decided, okay, I cannot do medicine. This is not for me. What else can I do? I just had to take a, a step back. And I thought, well, what do I enjoy regularly? And I was like, well, I love watching film, watching, uh, you know, TV. Somebody has to make that stuff happen. And after taking that into consideration, I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to work in uh, media creation. I want to work in entertainment. And then it was just a question of what do I do within entertainment? What is available? It was a lot of just research, you know, looking online, uh, seeing what the what the career options were and and also a comparison of what my strengths were and what I felt like I wanted to do. I felt like I was always very good at planning and organizing Mm -hmm. and communicating. And Mm -hmm. all of that sort of narrowed down into this production track for me. Which I honestly feel like is a great way to go about it. If you if you're super confused, and especially for people listening who might be at a point of I really don't know what I want to do with my life. I thought I wanted to do this. I really don't want to do that anymore. Just taking a step back, deep breath, and thinking about what you enjoy doing on a regular basis that maybe has nothing to do with a war- with work or a career, and then taking a look at what's available within that. I found that really helpful and it worked out because I really love what I do. So it was, it was a good assessment. That's great. It's like, I know, like, I know in high school, you face a lot of pressure to kind of figure out what you want to do already. And I know a lot of people end up going to kind of go to whether community college or regular university, 
kind of still not knowing what they're trying to do, but trying to hopefully discover it. And people of all ages enter the industry at different times. And I think the thing that's that should be made clear is that it's never too late. You're never too old to enter the animation industry or the entertainment industries. Like it's just a matter of time. And like once you discover it, just pursue it. Yeah, totally. And to add to that, I know so many people who started their career in something else and then they just decided, no, I want to work in entertainment. And I worked with PAs who had law degrees. You know, it was it was mm-hmm. very much like, hey, I found this passion after I had already finished all of this. And obviously it's a big it's a big step to take once you have gone in a certain direction, obviously, because also a PA is an entry level job. You know, so mm-hmm. some people coming out of, of college to be a PA is kind of the no brainer. But then for people who decide to switch careers completely, it's a big step. It's a big step and people do it. And that's the exciting part because they know that that's not a permanent role. You're not going to be a PA forever. You're going to move on. And it's just kind of putting in the work to get to get to where you want to be. So I totally am in agreement with you. Anytime that you decide that what you picked is not for you, you just have to make that change because just think about the years ahead. If you don't love what you're doing now and you think about the years ahead that you're going to spend doing that thing, it's worth it. It's worth it. If you're able to take that, to take that step, because obviously there's always, you know, the financial, we can't pretend that there's no sort of financial ties to what you're doing. There totally Mm -hmm. are. And, and depending on your situation, if that's something that you are able to do, you should do it. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Can you explain your role as a department manager and how it's not only just important, but like vital? I know you talked about it a little bit in the beginning, but just kind of dive deeper for uh, people in a college and high school may not be too aware of because department managers, it's actually a few, uh, quite a bit of steps above from like the entry level PA position. Yeah, totally, totally. As a PA, you're really building the foundation, right? So you're learning, you know, um, a lot of the times like you're learning note taking, which basically allows you to learn how how to filter information, what's important, what's not important. Put yourself in the shoes of the artist and what they want to, what they would want to know um, and what is clear for them. And then you're also learning just communication overall, what to communicate, how to communicate, when to communicate. And then as you sort of continue climbing, climbing up the ladder, all of those things end up contributing to your final performance, you know, or to your performance in, in other roles in higher lo- roles. So what I do as a department manager, most of it honestly is organizing, organizing, coordinating, communicating, really making sure that we have a plan and a strategy for how we're going to carry out tasks and meet our deadlines within the project's budget. And then making sure that we have practices and a structure in place that supports a good flow and communication within our departments but also within other departments. And at the same time, you're trying to make sure that the team is healthy and making changes to structure or anything when needed. So basically a lot of sort of watching out for the crew and making sure that we have uh, plans for how we're going to handle the work, which is really important because at the end of the day, you are like you can mention earlier, you're enabling people to do their job. So when you have, you know, a group of story artists, for example, you really are allowing them to focus in on their craft. And while you're providing sort of the the general, I wouldn't say guidelines, but you're providing like a general roadmap for them. Um, like this is what this is when we need to have certain things done so that the production can can continue. And and generally, I find that 
while working in production doesn't mean that you are necessarily being uh, creative in terms of the story itself, it does mean that you're being creative about the ways in which you're communicating and the ways in which you're presenting information, because a lot of it is visual, too. You have to think about who's going to ingest this and what's easier for them in terms of um, how they can ingest it and then and then working around that. So there's a lot of creativity involved in, in just trying to figure out how to work and how to present information and, and how to communicate. No, oh, that's amazing. Thank you for like explaining that, because I feel like it's something that oftentimes gets overlooked. And it's something that I feel that I just kind of want to like make uh, the audience aware that this is like another path to working in the industry. It's a, it's a path just as fulfilling and just as like rewarding and incredible and like fun. Like, especially I think like I think you guys get to be on the projects a lot longer than the artists as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's it's I think obviously you have to find what works for you. You know, at the end of the mm-hmm. day, it's like, is, is this something that's really exciting for you? I, it's funny. My, my, um, colleagues always kind of, um, we had a, we had a conversation at one point about what type are you and being type a seems like a very common thing in production, <laughs> 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 which apparently just means that you like things organized and, you know, moving forward. And, and I mean, if you're that kind of person and you really enjoy to be organized and, and communicating with people all the time, then it's totally for you. You just have to kind of find what makes sense, you know, for, for yourself as you're navigating what you want to do for your career. So when you first entered your kind of career in animation, like it's correct me if I'm wrong, but it's safe to assume that Tonko House was your first break into the animation industry as, as far as production. Yes, 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 yes. So when you first like uh, entered your role in production at Tonko or into the world of animation, do you feel more confident in your role now than when you first started? Or did like your earlier experience at live action help you transition and feel a bit more comfortable starting into animation? Absolutely. I think so. It's interesting, right? Because being a, being a production assistant inherently means that you're learning. So mm-hmm. you are in a position to learn, to be a sponge, to soak up information. And people know that. So when you're mm-hmm. starting out your entry-level position, it really is about what can I do to set myself up for success in the future? In a way, mm-hmm. nobody's really telling you what you need to do at that point. You know, you're just doing your job, but you're thinking, you're thinking ahead. If you're thinking for yourself, what is it that I need to gain out of this experience to get to where I want to be? And I think ultimately being a production assistant, it really is what you make of it at the end. And if you pick up on all of that information and as you keep going up, it's always hard when you're starting a new position, like you're never truly confident when you're starting a new position, I think. So mm-hmm. even like going from production assistant to coordinator, like, you know, there's a jump there. And at that point, it's more about always being honest, always being honest about what you know and what you don't know. If people are giving you an opportunity to move ahead, they know that you don't know all the things that you're going to learn it on the job. And a lot of the times that is what you do. You learn on the job. I think you probably can relate as well, right? In your experience in production or not in production, mm-hmm. but in your experience as, as artists. I agree. Ray and I both have a little bit of production experience, but I was a production intern at Cartoon Network and it was a good experience. And like you're saying, it's really important to be honest, I believe, because when I was there, I was there to learn about stuff. And they generally know that people apply because they are artists who want to get into that industry. But I wasn't sure 
if I wanted to do television at that time. So when I was a PA, they were like, oh, what are you interested in? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I want to do animation, but there's no animation in <laughs> uh, the US. Well, there is a little bit, but there's not really any animation in LA in-house. There's very little jobs. So I was like, maybe I'll check out storyboarding or I'll check out these other jobs, or maybe I'll really enjoy production. So I, I gave it a shot. I really uh, tried my best to be like involved in the work, went to all the meetings, like kind of understood what all of the parts of the pipeline were. And then at the end of the day, I was like, no, not really for me. <laughs> like none of these parts are for me. And it was OK to be honest, because like everybody was there to help. And even at the end of the day, if I was like, no, no, thanks. Um, nobody's going to be like, how dare you take our time? <laughs> like they're just there to help and uh, help you learn, especially as a PA. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, kind of also returning to your question, like, do I feel more confident in my role now? I would say yes, yes, I definitely do. Definitely everything that I did up to this point built up to to where to this moment, you know, and to what I'm doing now and to learning all those things. But I think you're always in a position of learning, no matter what. You can learn something from every project. Um, you can learn something from everybody that you work with and, and not every project has the same needs. So you might end up like changing up everything that you did on a previous project, doing it completely different for the next one. And, and that's really just a learning experience. I think what you really need to be confident in at the end of the day is your ability to learn and your ability to be just efficient and honest. Um, because at the end of the day, as I mentioned, if you are starting something new, people know you're starting something new and it's just about, Hey, I really want to learn and they help you. Mm -hmm. Like your crew will help you, your team will help you. And at the end of the day, when you go on your next project, that will be all the knowledge that you have to move forward and to build upon. I think you're, you're probably not going to be confident when you first start your role, but it's just confidence in your ability. Oh, well put. So something you mentioned like uh, earlier is that being at a studio like Tonko House, you got to work on a plethora of different things from exhibitions to graphic novels to short series. What has been your favorite project that you have worked on and why? Yeah, that's a good question. I, it's a hard question, to be honest. I, cause I think <laughs> every project has been different and every project has given, every project has something special to remember, uh, to think mm -hmm. about. I personally feel like ultimately the team makes the project. So if you're working with really great people, you'll always remember the great people that you worked with and like how much fun you had without even thinking about, you know, how, how stressful the job might've been or how smooth it might've gone. It's always more about the people and how they work together to me. And I've had that in every project. I can't say like, I can't single out a specific one where I've been like, Oh, this is my absolute favorite. If I had to totally pick, <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I would probably say, um, go, go Corey Carson which we worked on last year with Cuckoo Studios. Mm -hmm. And I know that you interviewed Rebecca recently. I, I was listening in <laughs> on her interview, so I know she brought it up as well. Um, <laughs> but GoGo was really fun. It was really fun. It was nice that we all were in the same space, which now mm -hmm. seems like forever ago. But it was nice to have a crew in the same space, to have everybody be so collaborative. It was just a lot of fun and a great learning opportunity to work on that project. So if I had to pick, that's what I would say. But in, in reality, <laughs> all of the projects are great and they're all my favorite. 
Oh, that again, I think uh, what you say rings true. And I think it's something that we've, it's kind of been a common thread. And I, Yuki can attest to this too, is that once you're actually in the industry or once you get to talk to more people that have been in the industry longer than you, it's, it's never about like, oh, I loved working on this movie because this movie's so good or this movie did really well at the box office or I liked working on this series because like, oh, it had cool characters, had a good story. It's always, it always comes down to the people that they worked with because that's what you, you remember the most. So I, I think you put it really well. That team honestly makes any project. Doesn't matter what the project may actually be, whether it's a a kid show, uh, an adult comedy. It's the team that makes it. Yeah, totally. But you also bring up a good point, you know, because because sometimes you work on projects that you just feel more passionate about because you relate more mm-hmm. to the story or you just really believe in it um, and putting it out into the world. And, and that's also really special when you really, really believe in a project. Mm. I think we've worked on many things as an independent studio. I think uh, Tom cause ends up working on a lot of things that they really, really care about because mm. of, because that's what the goal is at the end of the day. So generally I will say, and this is just adding to it that yes, like to your point, if you're working on something that you really love and are really passionate about, then that's also also uh, an easy way to kind of flag what your favorite show or project is this beyond the people, because I still think that's really, really, really important. So something else I kind of wanted to touch on as well, I feel like uh, more and more studios are trying to make an effort to have more diverse voices on the artistic side of animation in your role. Do you, do you think that studios are making the same kind of effort to have more diverse voices on the production side of it? You know, I, this is a little bit of a hard question to answer, not being sort of outside of, uh, of my role and seeing how generally the industry Mm -hmm. is making moves on that end. But I would Mm -hmm. say that there is overall just a, a push to try in every role to get more diversity, um, especially with this past year and everything that's been going on. I think it's highlighted a lot of the things that are lacking in the animation industry in terms of diversity. Uh, in opinion mm-hmm. and a diversity in in storytelling, or even if we're not talking about creative roles, I think as a whole, the industry is trying to make those uh, those changes. But there's more that we can do, right? I think mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the efforts that I have seen too really come from like those independent studios and like the smaller studios that are just trying to charge ahead. But I think there's definitely more than can be done, and a lot of it to me is also just the barriers of entry, you know, for people who don't have the privilege of really being able to take on these roles unpaid, you know, from the very beginning, like to do entry-level jobs that are low pay or unpaid internships, stepping back and taking a look at what does that mean for the, the people who are trying to enter the industry and just can't afford that, which a lot of the times is the diverse voices, right? It's just taking a look back from, from a societal standpoint on where we are or where what those people can do or cannot do i guess something that i I guess i would want to ask in addition is that in your opinion how important is it for you to have people of color not only on the art side but on the production side as well because you being a latina or like a person of color working at a studio like doc house you get to be that diverse voice in in your in your production yeah i think it's super important i mean you know i think it's interesting because well, you don't know, but <laughs> um, <laughs> it's interesting because Tonka House is really great at gathering feedback from all from 
basically everybody. It's like if you're making something, you want to make sure that everybody can relate, that the crew's happy with what is, what is happening. And and generally that means hearing out everybody's opinions, even if it's production. But at the end of the day, not like bigger studios don't necessarily do stuff like that. And mm-hmm. Still, though, being in a production position, I think just diversity in production in general is necessary, not only because you're enabling more voices in the industry, even in production, but also because you just have a different background and different understanding and you're able to bring in something to to the production side that may may not be there before. So even if it's not necessarily like creative storytelling in and of itself, it's also the way in which you, again, communicate, the way in which you organize things, the way in which you are able to relate to your peers and to handle um, certain issues that you might be seeing in any production. It's always going to be different and just having the, a different background helps, I think, you mm-hmm. know, in relating to, to those things. And the, the only thing that I could think of is that to me, it, it hurts that we as a whole industry still continue to have these entry barriers for, for people who are just more disadvantaged, you know, who, who really want to make it in this, in this world. It's already hard to get into entertainment and, and, mm-hmm. you know, into the entertainment industry and to get a break, but it's even harder when you know that you're just not able to do that because financially you can't afford it. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if if you decided that you really want to work in entertainment and you love and you actually feel like production is the best path for you, there should be an opportunity for everybody. And I think it's it definitely is super important because you're able to point out things that maybe the creative side is missing from the production standpoint as a diverse voice. What advice do you have for students that want to pursue a career in animation production? I would say... A lot of schools teach theory. So even if you do go to school, you can't expect just your classes to give you everything that you need to to pursue your career. You have to do extracurriculars. So join clubs, join clubs. And, and if you want to get into production, start producing, um, find sort of like those opportunities to work with people who also have the same passions as you in making things happen. And And that will give you sort of a leg in, you know, because then as you can put that in your applications. You know, I did this for myself and people love saying that stuff that you were passionate about something and you just did it. And that's mm-hmm. how you are able to make yourself stand out. Do internships and network, network a ton. I never, it's interesting because this is again, another thing that goes back to like the, the entry barriers, I think, but going to community college, I never heard about internships. Never. Um, until Whoa. then I transferred to university and then I started hearing like, Oh, people, people have been doing internships since like their freshman year. And, and that is setting you up for success. You're, you're, first of all, you're getting to gauge what you want to do by doing it, which is the only, I think the best way to try. And second of all, you're getting experience as you're, you're building experience and you're making yourself more marketable. So do internships network, network to get the internships because sometimes you'll need to and Mm -hmm. just overall be humble and be a sponge. Just always. I think there are some people um, who along the way will feel like this is not for me because it's below me. You know, being, being a PA is not fancy. I think when you start, when you first join the industry, it's not, but you're learning Mm -hmm. 
And you need to be humble and you need to be a sponge. So just gather as much as you can from every project that you work on and just make yourself open to having those experiences and to learning. Really, really agree with that. Thank you so much. That's, that's great. Yeah, great advice. No, thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you want to plug at this time? Yeah, thank you for having me. This was really fun. Um, if anybody wants to find me, they can always look me up on LinkedIn. Um, my LinkedIn, I believe, is G Grimaldo. If you enjoyed our interview with Giselle, please rate us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP and let us know your response to today's in-between questions. Or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us. We love discovering new artists and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest, who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.